Appreciate it, Pastor Josh. Good morning, Midtown Baptist. It's good to be here with you guys. I just want to say thank you for allowing me to join you in worship on this Sunday morning. Uh, my family couldn't make it, my wife and, as he said, my three kids, um, but they send their, their welcomes to you as well. Uh, Josh and John, where John, uh, John in the back, holding a little one. Thank you, brothers, for inviting me to share the pulpit. And just real quick, um, it's, it's just kind of crazy to think about God's faithfulness. And uh, Josh and I, we got, what, 11 years of history, friendship. So we were young um, in college, young believers, just trying to figure out this whole Christian walk. And when the opportunity presented itself to share our faith to, you know, people in our dorm rooms on our college campuses, and God used that ministry to, to cross our paths at different conferences and retreats and things of that nature. And 11 years later, to see both of us married, great wives out of our league, um, may I add, but uh, families and serving the Lord together in pastoral ministry. So that's a testimony within itself. And I, I want to give God a praise, a uh, clap of praise for that. <laughs> Y'all do have a, a great pastor, Josh, uh, who really means what he says. Um, and so obviously you entrusted um, yourselves to his leadership as well as John. So thank you. Um, I want me in Luke chapter 7, and I believe if you have one of the Bibles that's been given, it's on page 916 and 917. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse... While I understand this sermon is not a part of the regular uh, series uh, of you guys, it's kind of like a standalone... I, I want to give you just a, some brief context to kind of bring us in uh, to this passage. In Luke's gospel, the first six chapters, we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So we see him uh, among many miracles. He's healing uh, the paralyzed. He's casting out demons. And all the while, Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come. And as we move through the, the first half of Luke to chapter 7, we find Jesus at a very familiar context. He's reclining at a table over a meal in the presence of sinners. It just seems like that was a pattern of Jesus' life. But he allows us to see, and these two sinners have two different responses to his generosity. And the question hard question we must ask ourselves this morning is, which of these sinners do you mostly identify with? Maybe it's one of the other. Maybe it's two. But as we stand and read God's word, I want us to come with humble hearts, as it already been prayed, that God, you do what you need to do in our hearts as we receive your word. So I invite you to stand as we read 36 through 50. Hear the word of the Lord. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and she wiped his feet with her hair and kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say. A creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they cannot pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I enter your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man whoever, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I know we have a ways away until uh, Christmas, but I couldn't help but to share this memorable experience with you. And I, I was thinking what could be fitting uh, for the context, uh, for the content of our text this morning. I remember I was in college and it was custom of me to go back home to St. Louis uh, and spend the holidays with my family. And this particular Christmas was a little bit my mom at the time, and so she had her hands full uh, with, with buying gifts and things of that nature. It was Christmas Day, and just like any other Christmas, we got up. Um, I think I brushed my teeth, maybe, maybe not. Um, we got up and we made our way towards the tree. And I was getting older, and I accepted the reality that every year, Every year that went past, I received less and less gifts. So that's okay. So we gather around the tree, and I'm looking, you know, what bag or what box has my name on it, and I find a box. And I grab the box, and I took the box, and I began to open the wrapping paper, open the box open, and I found this nice pair of winter black boots. And if you know anything about St. Louis up north, it's good to have some good boots because them winters are brutal. So my feet was going to be warm and I could look stylish because they look really nice. And so I'm excited. I'm thinking really highly of myself, like, man, I'm going to look good with these boots. And like I told you, I had some younger cousins who were living with us at the time as well. So they too had gifts. And one cousin in particular, uh, it was a boy three years younger than me. He began to search. the. Tr he found a box that was shaped. Similarly to the box I just opened, but he began to unwrap the, the box. And he pulls out the same brand of boot, the same color, and he's excited about the boots that he's received. And for me, I'm like thinking to myself, whoa, like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Who told my mama to use her hard-earned money to do a two-for-one sale for these boots? <laughs> I want it to be unique, but now my cousin has the same pair of boots as I do, and I didn't say that out loud, Josh, otherwise I wouldn't be here. <laughs> but I was thinking it to myself. 
And even though I didn't say it verbally, I said it non-verbally. And my mama saw it. She saw the ungratefulness all over my, my body. And it was awkward. <laughs> I mean, the rest of the day, I, I, I'm trying to make it up. Mama, I didn't mean it. I really appreciate the boots. Thank you. I'm washing dishes. I'm doing everything, trying to go above and beyond to, to win her graces. But that particular moment, it revealed a, a very deep issue that I have. That in my nature, I have a sinful and ungrateful heart. You see, I was so concerned about what my cousin got, and I couldn't be grateful what, what I received. In fact, she didn't have to give me anything. <laughs> my mom was a single parent, and she was essentially raised, but yet she still bought me a pair of boots. And I know, I know having an ungrateful heart isn't unique to just our tears. We all have ungrateful hearts. You see, we become so accustomed and entitled to things in our lives that we believe that we deserve. Even the very, the very air we're breathing right now, we become so accustomed to it as if, God, yes, I deserve breath in my lungs. But we need a, we need a renewed perspective. We need to remind ourselves of a deep theological truth, which is this, because God is holy and we're not, we rightfully deserve his just and holy wrath. So you want to be entitled with anything, you want to look to God and say, what do you deserve? We deserve his holy and just wrath. Brothers and sisters, I know that doesn't give us the warm and fuzzies. I'm not here to make you feel better about yourself, but we got to start with that reality. But there is good news We'll make our way to that good news eventually, but I, I want to submit to you a main idea from our text this morning. And this main idea is this, because Christ generously forgives undeserving sinners, we should respond because Christ forgives undeserving sinners, we must respond gratefully to his love. And as we look at this account in Luke, I want us to notice three realities of Christ's forgiveness. The first reality we see in verses 36 to 38 is that Christ's forgiveness humbles grateful sinners. Christ's forgiveness humbles grateful sinners. Allow me to take us back to this scene, and let's just use our imaginations. Allow me to take us back, and we're all guests at this particular dinner. We probably find ourselves at a table reclining, eating uh, this, this great handmade bread with, with the best spices, and there's a nice spread of hors d'oeuvres, and maybe there's a glass of red wine, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but you're enjoying the company of those at this dinner party. And the Pharisee Simon, who's the host of this party, he's, he's working the room, conversation to conversation. He's probably talking about the latest happenings in the, the synagogues in that, in that area. And you're enjoying yourself. And suddenly something happens that changes the whole temperature of the room. This, our text says, verse 37, a woman... You're probably like, hey, who, who, who is this? <laughs> What's going on? 
Who is this bold woman, you may ask? And it's important to note, even though biblical scholars, uh, most biblical scholars agree that she's not Mary of Bethany or very similar accounts in Matthew, Mark, and John's gospel. She's unnamed. We don't know her name. But one thing we do, one thing we do know, the text tells us that she has a reputation and the whole town knows her sin. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine your sin being known throughout the whole Midtown Baptist? Can you imagine your sin being known throughout the whole Midtown of Memphis, the whole city of Memphis, around your school, your neighborhood, your workplace? Some particular sin follows you around. Yep, that's that guy. Yep, that's that girl. This lady, she, she knew this very well. So why would she, out of all people, <laughs> crash this dinner party that's being hosted by a Pharisee, a religious teacher? Was it because... The bread smells so good, and that aroma was just lingering in the air. She's like, man, I got to try some of that. I don't know who made this bread, but let me just get a piece to take home. No, it was because the bread of life, Jesus was there. And he was irresistible, that she couldn't help herself and to come. This was the Jesus that Luke speaks of in just two chapters earlier. The same, not just her, like us, the worst of sinners. And as we read in verses 38 through 39, her repentance, her gratitude is manifested in her worship of Christ. If you have your Bibles open still, look with me in verse 37. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume to anoint his feet. She, she, she came prepared. And this jar of perfume, it wasn't cheap. It cost. But the cost didn't matter. Jesus was more valuable than this particular jar of perfume. Feet, drying the tears with her hair and kissing her feet. This wasn't a casual scene. It, it, it wasn't appropriate, especially as a woman. The, the things that she was doing culturally, it wasn't appropriate for her to do that. And it didn't matter. Gratitude for her Savior. Brothers and sisters, I must ask us the question, what does your gratitude look like for your Savior? Can people smell that aroma on your life? Do people hear it in your speech? Can, can people sense this gratitude the way you respond to certain unideal circumstances in your life? I know we're going through something right now. That ain't ideal. And if you could write the script, you wouldn't have wrote this particular scene in your life. But are you still grateful? There's a writer for New York Times, David Brooks. He actually wrote an article discussing the structure of gratitude. He said, gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations when it's undeserved. Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising kindness. Most people feel grateful some of the time after someone saves you from a mistake. 
I mean, it's no surprise, the past couple years, I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, probably contracted COVID at some point. And boy, depending on your case, somebody who was there, maybe a friend, a roommate, a, a spouse, grandma, grandpa, who came and cared for you, brought you the elderberries and the, uh, the soup, the Vicks Vapor Rub for your chest and congestion, whatever that was, I'm sure your sense of gratitude increased or deepened for that particular person. Jesus' kindness towards us is much deeper than that. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 tells us, But when the kindness of our God, our Savior, for the love of mankind appeared, he saved us, not by our works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. By faith, we are washed clean. <laughs> By faith, we have a new position before God. He sees us as perfect. I know that's not always an easy truth to believe. I'd be the first to confess that, even as a pastor, <laughs> standing up here to preach before you guys, that's not always an easy truth to believe that I'm, I'm seen perfectly washed clean before the Father. Especially when we experience reoccurring shame from our past. It was the late pastor R.C. Sproul who said, Satan is a skeleton rattler. You see, Satan, he likes to point to the closet of skeletons, if you will, or he likes to point to our past moral failures. Maybe those past addictions, those shortcomings. He likes to convince us that this is our identity. You see, brothers and sisters, when we believe those lies of Satan, we find ourselves becoming more distant from God. We, we isolate ourselves from the gathering of the brothers and sisters. And even worse, we flat out just ignore and reject the truth that God loves us unconditionally. That is far from the truth. But as we read it, she knew a little something about that. Whatever reputation that she had that, that followed her, it didn't matter because she was in the presence of her Savior that forgave her life. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that Satan, your insecurities, the hurt, be it emotional or physical, that came at someone else's selfishness, would not have the last word. Because we, we have a, a gracious, good, perfectly heavenly Father who speak love every single day, who sings over us, who, who delights over us because the finished work of his son. Can you relate to this sinful woman who expressed this kind of gratitude for her Savior? It's the first reality we see of Christ's forgiveness, that it humbles grateful sinners. The second reality of Christ's forgiveness we see in our text is that it offends self-righteous sinners. His forgiveness 
offends self-righteous sinners. Look with me in verse 39. The text tells us when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. This Pharisee thoughts revealed a problem that we all have as well. Breeds arrogance. It breeds arrogance. We become very arrogant people. And it's, it's manifested in two ways. The first way is how we view Christ. This Pharisee thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, how arrogant. And if, it's, it's, it's a conditional conjunction. In other words, this Pharisee meant this prophet who supposedly, be, uh, who supposedly was sent by God, if he was truly a prophet, he wouldn't associate with sinners like this. <laughs> but it's, it's, a sock, it's a shocking reality that this Pharisee, who by vocation is a scholar of the Old Testament, it's shocking to know that this Pharisee who who's supposed to be a scholar of the Old Testament, missed that from the beginning, the scriptures are pointing towards this coming Messiah. The the, the scriptures tells us, it's it's these major billboards, if you will, on the highway, tell us that there's a perfect prophet that's coming. He's not just the perfect prophet, he's the feel everything that was spoken about him including associating with sinners like this, redeeming and loving the worst of sinners like this. He missed it. Let that be a warning for us. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You can acquire all this biblical knowledge, but in your self-righteousness, your heart can be hardened. and you can miss the living word in action. In your life, and also the lives of others. This Pharisee, he missed it. The second way we see our self-righteousness is manifested, not only how we view Christ, but how we view other people. This Pharisee thinks to himself, this woman who's touching him for she's a, a sinner. So he not only questions the identity of Jesus, but he degrades this woman's worth and her value because she didn't fit into his social and spiritual box. We have to be honest. We all carry those boxes. We all have those prejudices. We look at someone based on the skin or their color, the the, the color of their skin, excuse me, based on their ethnicity, their, their, their political ties, their economic background, their educational background, and we write boxes of what we may prefer. But as people, we're complex. We're broken. We all have baggage. But we allow our differences to become the primary source of what we identify ourselves with, what type of tribe, if you will, what type, of, what type of group people you associate with, we're just building a bigger wall. And I believe we'll probably do ourselves more justice if we remember that as humanity, we have two things in common. No matter where you're from, 
how much money you make, where you were born, what family you come from. We have two fundamental things in common. We're image bearers. So when I look at this room, none of y'all look alike, but I see beautiful image bearers. God has his, his image stamped on all of us individually. Secondly, we're all broken sinners in need of his grace. How do we see this if we're living self-righteously, if, we, if we're living arrogantly? Simon is offended by Jesus' interaction with this woman. His heart is hardened. But Jesus shows how merciful he is, not just to this woman, but with Simon. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon, look, look, look at me in my eyes. I, I have something to say to you. He says a creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay back, he graciously forgave them both. And he, he lays his lesson before Simon. He says, so which of them would love him more? Simon asked, answered, I suppose the one that he forgave more. Jesus responds, you have judged correctly. There was a story that went viral about four years ago in 2018. It took place at a historical black college in Atlanta, Morehouse. It's an all-boys college. And it was at the graduation, these uh, future graduates were sitting in their seats similar to you guys, and there was a commencement speaker, a billionaire actually, Robert F. Smith, who was giving some words of encouragement and things of that nature. And if you sat through some of those commencement speeches, you're kind of like, all right, I'm hungry. Let's, let's wrap this thing up, you know. 396 class members sat through that motivational speech, anxious, ready for him to land a plane so they can finally walk across that stage and, and be declared as graduates of Morehouse. Mr. Smith revealed some shocking news that nobody expected. He had announced that he was willing to pay off all the remaining student loan debt of all the graduates, which totaled around $40 million. Amazing, amen, exactly. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> I know I can. If I was sitting in, that, sitting in that seat, I'm like, brother, I appreciate you, man, thank you. Because boy, them student loans. Um, we're not going to pass a plate, you know. John, I, I want to be, you know. Um, but no, I mean, the grass were excited. The, the family members were crying. I mean, it didn't matter if you owe $5,000 or $25,000. Regardless, this man said, hey, I'm covering it all. Brothers and sisters, on a much deeper level, on a spiritual level, God's word is very clear that we were born into spiritual debt. And it was because our, our father and our mother, Adam and Eve, against God's goodness, cursed mankind. And we all have been stained and marred by sin. David tells us in Psalms 51, in iniquity did, did my mother conceive me. And the sad reality, and to generation and generation after them, mankind, we have 
committed this tirelessly journey of trying to pay off that debt, trying to, to make ourselves into, quote, unquote, better people. But we don't realize how deep that debt goes until we look at the one who paid it all. When we look at Jesus, that he, he committed to this plan before eternity passed, that we, broken people, that we didn't have it in us morally, financially, socially, spiritually, to make ourselves right before God. And so he said, Father, I agree. I'll come down. I'll leave glory. I'll put on flesh, and not just that, as a God. He will be born as a baby. He will humble himself. He will grow throughout an infancy stage, adolescent, teenager, adulthood, modeling perfect obedience to the Father. Not just that. He will endure hostility for the very people that he created, the very people that he was sustaining their lives. He would endure hostility because they, they blasphemed him for making claims that he was equal to God. But he knew, he knew the day, he knew the minute, he knew the second when that cross was calling his name. As the joy was set before him, he endured hostility. He, he drank the full cup of God's wrath. And one of his last words was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was the cost that the father would give his only son for undeserving sinners like you and I. There's no way we could pay that debt off. If you're trying, stop it. Stop. Stop. Everything in your being, stop and look at the love of the father. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love. You want to know how much God loves you? Are you doubting God's love this morning, today, in this season? Remember the cross. He demonstrates his love in this while we were yet still sinners. Christ what? Died for us. He paid the debt. He's the, gener the generous donor. But the question remains, how do you relate? to this self-righteous Pharisee who was offended by Christ's generosity to other people. See, the grateful sinners, the second reality of Christ's forgiveness is that it offends self-righteous sinners. And the last reality of Christ's forgiveness I want us to see is that it secures the peace for sinners. Verses 44 through 50. Luke is very intentional, as we read in this Luke account, of recording Jesus' specific evaluation of Simon's actions, which revealed two issues. The first fundamental issue, it's on surface, he lacked just genuine hospitality. Look in verse 44, Jesus tells him, you gave me no water for my feet. It was custom, culturally, that you would present water for the feet of your guests because the main transportation was foot. They didn't have tube socks and, uh, you know, brooks running shoes and walking shoes and, and things of that nature. 
Their feet was pretty nasty. But it was culturally, uh, it, was, it, was, it was normal to offer water for the feet of the guests. Verse 45, Jesus tells him, you gave me no kiss. And then lastly, Jesus tells him, first issue, the second major issue that Jesus has with Simon is that he lacked love for Jesus. He lacked love for him. Jesus wasn't just nitpicking about Simon's hosting skills. <laughs> he wasn't looking for sparkling water and snacks. But it was deeper. He was, he was concerned with what was going on inwardly. Based on Simon's actions, it seemed as if he wasn't transformed inwardly by the redeeming love of Christ. Because if he realized what debt that was being paid, as we just discussed, man, he would, he would roll out the red carpet for Jesus. Jesus, what you need? I got you. Stay as long as you need. Whatever you need, whatever it costs, I can't pay you back. <laughs> it's a sign of gratitude. This wasn't the case for Simon. Another lesson for us today, if you've been changed, if you pushing, there ought to be evidence of that change in your life. We serve a God too good, too big to leave us unchanged. There ought to be evidence of love, evidence of joy, evidence of peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see that evidence in your life? Do other people see that evidence in your life? There's a shift in this story. Enough about Simon. Jesus turns his attention to the woman. He says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, or many, have been forgiven. That's why she has loved much. See, the motivation for her love was that because she was first loved by God. We can't work our way into God's good graces. The motivation for God's love is never by works. God loved her first, therefore she responded in gratitude. She responded with worship. It wasn't because her church attendance was perfect. She was tithing so much. Don't hey, hear me out as a pastor. Come to church, tithe. Uh, but we can't get it twisted. Man, I miss my quiet time with God. I argued with my wife. I yelled at my kids. I was ugly at my roommate. Of course, God loved me less today. Then on the flip side, man, I had a great time with God. <laughs> Two hours. Somebody cut me off coming to uh, work on Union. I didn't give him the finger. <laughs> I didn't curse him out of my mind or, uh, <laughs> or hourly. <laughs> I prayed for him. I was great at work. I shared my faith with my coworker. I came home, loved my wife 
love my kids. Of course God loved me more. That's far from the truth. We boil down our love, God's love for us, based on works. It is the works that come as a response to God's love, of loving up first. You may be saying, Artez, I hear you. It sounds great right now. We've, we heard great songs that were sang, the prayers that were prayed by our pastors. Some of y'all probably going to go to brunch or lunch and continue to converse and fellowship. You're going to have a really good Sunday. But you may be saying, hey, brother, Sunday ain't the issue. It's the Wednesday, the Thursday night when I find myself tempted to touch something that I'm not supposed to touch, to be with someone that I'm not probably supposed to be with, that's when it's tough, Pastor. That's, that's when I doubt the love of God. That's when the shame overcomes me and I'm crippled and I begin to push myself away from the Lord. And it's this constant cycle and you begin to, to wonder, does God still love me? Does God still love me? Forgive me for this silly illustration, but I hope it helps. I remember watching TV and it was this, this commercial that came on several times throughout the day, throughout the week. And uh, it's this insurance agent, and they're walking through this museum, this museum or, and they're asking questions about the coverage of this insurance. And then the scene will kind of transition to this random scene of a, a, a bear coming into the living room, sitting on a couch, eating the food out of the, the refrigerator, tearing up the couch, tearing up the house. And the potential client will look at the insurance agent and say, so what about this scenario? You say, it's covered. You say, okay. Then another scene, uh, this family leaves for vacation. They leave their pets home. The pets climb on the counter and accidentally turn on the water in the kitchen. And it begins to overflow. And they come back home. And there's this pool of water uh, covered. Carpet ruined, wa uh, floors ruined, everything ruined. And the potential client look at the insurance agent he, and they say, is this covered? He says, covered. Then he says, listen, when it comes to our company, we not only seen a thing or two, but we seen it all. He said, we not only know a thing or two, but we know it all. Then it says, we are farmers. <laughs> okay, thank you, Josh. Y'all leave me hanging. But yeah, it's, 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 a, silly, it's a silly illustration. But it, it, it had me thinking. When it comes to our sin, God not only seen a thing or two, but he sees it all. He not only knows a thing or two, but he knows all. But by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, he does what? He covers all of our sin. Are you talking about the best insurance and the best assurance? <laughs> Jesus reassures his peace for those who trust him. Just like this woman. In verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that the Christian walk is difficult. But God has given us his promises. Don't forsake these promises. 
he's given us his people. Don't forsake meeting and gathering together, not just on Sunday mornings, but even as an opportunity presents itself throughout the week. God's given us his spirit who indwells within us. And he's given us a future hope that awaits us whenever he calls us home. So we doubt his forgiveness because someone else's words or action towards us or our own actions or our words towards ourselves. Remember that cross. Remember his word. Lean on his people. Trust his spirit. And I pray if this is not your faith this morning, that you will come and receive this forgiveness. Stop working on your own. Stop trying to pay off that debt by your good works. It's tiring. It's empty. It's a dead end. He has already accomplished the most significant thing that you will ever experience by dying on that cross. He was buried, but he rose victoriously. And he said, come. Come today. You ain't got to clean yourself up. Come dirty. I heard the little ones on the other side of the room, and it reminds me of my little one. When they, let me see, I can use this in the PG. Uh, when they do their business in their diaper, you know, number two, poo-poo, doo-doo. And it's a blowout, and they're disgusting, and they don't know what to do. They can't run their own bath water. They can't change themselves. They don't know where the diaper's at. They don't know where the wife's at, but they know where daddy at. And they come. They come as they are. And I encourage you to come. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe, Ortez, I've been baptized already. I've made my profession of faith already, but I'm struggling, brother. And I remind you that his love is still sufficient. So come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your forgiveness is great, that you paid the cost for all of us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, give us what we really don't deserve. But God, would you also humble us for our self-righteousness, soften our hardened hearts, that we may see you for who you are, and God, that we would come that we would be transformed, that you, we know that you will find us where exactly where we are, but I pray we will respond. So help us, Father. And even on that Wednesday, that Thursday night, when we find ourselves in that repeated cycle, Holy Spirit, convict us, bring us closer to the Father, renew us, give us joy, and give us hope. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people say it together. Amen. Amen.